Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Beast Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host of today, and for the second time since Brentford's promotion to the Premier League, gosh that still sounds so weird, I'm delighted to be joined for the continuation of our summer recruitment specials by Felix Pate, founder of Looks Good on Paper. Felix, how are you and thank you for joining us. Hello David, I'm, uh, I'm very well, thank you. Honoured to be uh, on this Beast Tactical Podcast today. Almost feels like my uh, analytics and football journey's come full circle which I'm sure we'll get onto soon but no really looking forward to uh, getting into the nitty-gritty of some Brentford players yeah I'm really privileged to have you here yeah thanks mate um uh, just speaking before we came on you haven't actually been on many podcasts outside of uh looks good on paper and um it's, it's esteemed company you've done the Fanalytics FC one you've done Andy's over on the the Blackburn side of things and um and Brentford yeah I mean if we can keep company like that I'll be I'll be happy evermore yeah, it's uh yeah, it's a delight to be able to come on other people's podcasts and just kind of share my experiences, my journey and you know, get other people's perspectives and I think this kind of podcasting analytic community has really grown over the last twelve to eighteen months and long may it continue, I think. Yeah, it sure has, it sure has. Um yeah, uh how you how are you enjoying summer so far? I mean it's it's exceptional, isn't it? Like we've had the Euros, Wimbledon, tennis, Copper America, Tour de France, cricket. I know you're a keen darts fan as well. Like what what's standing out to you and is the best yet to come? Uh yeah, it's just wall to wall sport <laughs> wherever I am. My my two passions are kind of sport and music and there's not a lot of live music going on at the moment unfortunately, so ninety five percent of my time is probably watching sport. Uh, the best is yet to come. I think um, on Sunday when we lift the Euros, that's that will probably be the peak of the summer. But um, no, there's so much going on. Um, I've watched less of the tennis this year, but whatever I have watched has been uh, highly entertaining. The cricket's been fantastic. Um, we've got the Olympics still to come as well, hopefully. Um, yeah, it's just keeping me occupied, keeping me blurry-eyed when I'm staying up till 1 o'clock in the morning, having watched sport nearly all day. But uh, no, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's wall to wall. We're um, after the year we've had. Uh, I guess we're all sort of lapping it up and um, and just yeah, just absorbing whatever we can sports wise. Uh, long may it continue, hey. Um, Definitely. 
Okay, so let's um, let's chat about you a little bit. So yeah, you're the head honcho at LGOP. Looks good on paper. Do you want to give us a bit of an explainer and um, yeah, sort of how you've got to how you've got to this point? Yeah, it came about. So uh, I was in my last year at school doing my A levels when um, the pandemic kind of started and lockdown one happened. Um, so I did maths, further maths, and computer science at A level. Um, and for my computer science project which was uh, 40% of the overall qualification we had to uh, basically design and build a piece of software Um, so I decided to build a um, football simulator or a very rudimentary version of one so you could input uh, two lineups do some really basic tactics and it basically run the game 500 times and tell you how many times the home team won how many draws there were how many times the away team won so i never actually got chance to fully finish that because um the coursework was due in in may and we got uh told to leave school in march so a couple of weeks into the first lockdown i kind of started to revisit it um tweaked some of the code and then said to a few of my friends oh, why don't we we start a podcast to pass the time you know we're not doing anything so let's start a football podcast we can discuss kind of our best 11 of all time or best Premier League 11, whatever. And now we've got this code that we can use to test who ends up picking the best 11. Um, So it sort of spiraled from there. And then I started publishing some of the stuff from the simulator on Twitter and um, kind of the metrics that we were coming up with. Started getting a little bit of traction on there. And then last summer, we were fortunate enough to do um, some work for a Premier League 2 academy player. Um, trying to find him a loan move, um, so looking at suitable clubs in the EFL. That was really well received by the player and his agent. Um, and then kind of from there, it's just all been about building the metrics, um, pushing the capabilities of what our uh, predictions can do and trying to hopefully help uh, fan analysts with some recruitment pieces or... Um, clubs themselves just running a target or two buyers just to get a second opinion um we've got the website now so i've been trying to put some blogs on there explaining kind of my thought processes towards how analytics should be used in football and i'm really pleased with how it's grown over the last sort of 12 to 18 months yeah great stuff um i think what stands out is uh, how how successful you already are at such a young age um <laughs> just a wise head on your shoulders and uh, definitely the speakings of an analytical mind um just listening to you talk about the the journey so far but it's, it's really impressive i think it's fitting that um uh, you've you've stumbled um stumbled onto a brentford pod as well this is the this is the kind of thinking and the early adoption and um what, what football is probably lacking for a long time before clubs like Brentford, Liverpool took it to um, took it to the level we're kind of seeing now. But yeah, it, it's great stuff. I, I think um, what I might advise listeners to do is um, head towards uh, one of the podcasts you did over on LGOP, the Six Pillars Pod. It just talks about a bit more of underpinning um, um, a little bit of um, your your guys' beliefs and um, how you come about some of your ratings and systems. Would you would you say that's a good suggestion? Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's the podcast and then there's a, a written piece on the website as well. And it's just kind of an overview of how I envisage analytics being sort of, uh, you know, best practices for how analytics can help in different areas of, of running a football club, but not even just running a football club. If you just want to understand football a bit better and why certain decisions are being made or you fancy trying to make your own predictions, things like that, just a way of integrating some more objective information into your football and opinions, I think. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so um, 
Yeah, moving towards Brentford a little bit now. Then, but just um, maybe anecdotally, I guess, what what have you made of bees? Uh, of the bees' meteoric rise, um, I guess, especially coming back from playoff disappointment to Fulham. Um, yeah, I know you've been tracking the work of Matthew Benham for a number of years now. Yeah, I've been hooked for kind of the last three years now. They've almost become my second team. <laughs> um, so I did a I did a project at school um, called an EPQ which is to write a, a 5,000-word essay and give a 20-minute presentation. Um, and people in my year, they did them on the Arab Spring or the Norwegian prison system or um, systematic racism. And, and mine was about Matthew Benham, which was a, a little bit surreal, seeing all the other presentations and then going up to do mine and, and talking about this guy who went from being a, a physicist to a, a trader to then running football clubs a little bit differently. But yeah... Like you say, I've been tracking the work, um, been really impressed. I think more than anything by the commitment to the process and understanding that no matter what happens, if we have to sell our best players, if the results don't go our way, we've got this process, we've got this long-term vision and we're going to stick to it because we believe it can get us to our end goal um, within a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. Do you know if he's read it? Um, I've read that that piece. Do you know if he has? He He did like my tweet that I when I first very first wow. published it on my first blog so he did like the tweet and that kind of led to a load of Brentford fans <laughs> flocking to it so whether he just liked it um just to look like he was um busy on his socials or whether he actually took the time to read it I don't know but I hope he did I hope he enjoyed it let's assume sure that he did that I yeah. got wrong yeah <laughs> um but no it's had a really good reception ever since I published it on uh, on my blog and you know I've had Brentford fans praising it Brentford fans picking holes which I was quite happy to accept you know I was a 17 year old writing about a football club I've I've never seen play before I really started watching uh, before I started writing the essay should I say um and I've been hooked ever since and it's been great to first the disappointment of of last season finally seeing them get to the the playoff final but then to bounce back in the way that you have this year even you know when Bournemouth went 2-0 up I thought oh no here we go again um, and just the resilience to bounce back and then comfortably sort of dispatching Swansea. Um, so it would be great to see you in the Premier League next season as long as you don't take too many points off uh, Everton. <laughs> yeah, we've already got that nailed down as six points in the bag. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I won't I won't go down that route. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, great stuff. I think with the way... Benham's quite mysterious online, so um, a like uh, I, I he doesn't I don't think he hands them out easily, so I think that's um, there's a little bit of respect. It was, there. It was certainly a bolt out of the blue. Yeah, I I'll bet put it that way. Yeah. Okay, let's um, let's sort of start moving into the episode proper. So we're here continuing on with the summer recruitment um, uh, episodes. Um, this one's going to be slightly different in comparison with uh, defenders, wide forwards, and the strikers episodes. Um, and the simple reason is just numbers, uh, but more specifically, numbers of bodies uh, and hopefully quality. So, um, assessing the squad for assessing Brentford's squad, if you if you look across it, um, there's a couple of areas where you do feel there are additions that need to be made. Um, we highlighted quite a few in the defensive area, especially on the right hand side. Um, forwards possibly as well um wide forwards absolutely but one area that feels heavily stocked is midfield um what i'm going to do is i'm just going to read out the list of current midfielders on books um for brentford (laughs) 
Uh, senior midfield as well, I won't go into the B team, but we've got Christopher Norgard, uh, Vitaly Yenelt, Matthias Jensen, Josh De Silva, Mads Bistrup, uh, Shandon Baptiste, Salmon Godos, and uh, Tariq Fossey Henry is going to sneak into this list because of how central he was playing in the latter parts of, um, of last season. Uh, so yeah, we're excluding wide forwards from this midfielders episode. It's just going to be midfielders who operate in defensive midfield or box to box or that central attacking midfield area. Um, that's quite a list. Like what what does what comes to without delving into the data yet? What comes to your mind when you hear that that list, um, Felix? Um, I think sheer number of bodies always helps in a Premier League season. Um, it is a league where if you are lacking or you're light in a certain area it can get exposed very, very quickly. Um, I mean, speaking from my experience, we've had issues at fullback at times over the last kind of five or six years, and teams will snuff you out straight away. They'll notice that you've got someone playing out of position or, you know, a reserve player coming in who's not played that many senior minutes, and they will just focus all of their kind of resources onto exploiting that weak link. So I think in terms of the number of bodies, that's definitely a plus point to start with. In terms of you know just looking over the names, these are all players that anecdotally people have put up there as some of the the top tier in their position in the championship over the last couple of seasons. You know you've got a couple of um, international players in there as well. So I think just looking at it very briefly to start with, it's certainly uh, could be classed as an area of strength uh, for Brentford going up this year. Yeah, so um, I think a yeah a good thing to to think about this is recruitment is what is basically what's got Brentford to this point um, it's the buying and selling and the trading of players um, you mentioned obviously Matthew Benham's trading background and banking and um, they these guys are smart guys and I think they understand value probably deeper and better than most um, when to get rid of players when to hold on to players or when to sell at the right price or, or just making players look more desirable to other people so that they overpay and um and you and you make money that way it's all about spending low and, and sorry yeah you're buying players but you're trying to sell high and um, spend low yourself and just just incrementally build the, the the value and quality of the squad um midfielders is different because i think at this point now and just getting into the premier league it's it's the the idea the idea of stability is is quite interesting and um I don't see many, I don't see many changes happening in midfield, and that's why we're not going to use this episode just to just to ring up a load of names and um, and sort of talk about their abilities and what they could bring to the team. I think it's more of a focus on what Brentford have now and and how they're suited to um, the Championship and then stepping up into into the Premier League and how we think they're going to feature. Um, and this is why your uh, your modelling and um, your work, Felix, will come in really handy because you. Some of the things you're able to do is um, is project future performance and benchmark against other players and um, bring up a similarity level to a number of other players. Um, do you want to explain that a little bit further? Yeah, um, I mean, just before that, I mean, you talked there about stability and mm. I think that's really important. I think whenever anything good or bad happens, the first kind of instinct is, oh, we need to change it. We're, you know, we're going up a level or a dropping down a level. What can we change? Whereas, like you say, sometimes keeping that core, especially keeping a core of kind of, seven, eight, nine players, and then just changing one or two elements around them um, is definitely kind of a, a proven blueprint to success and one that I, I'm sure Brentford will want to follow given that long-term vision that the club has had over the last kind of um, seven or eight years. But yeah, going into kind of my stuff, it it's taken on various forms over the last 
12 to 15 months as I've taken in new ideas. You know, I'm someone who reads a lot about other sports. I'm always kind of stealing ideas from baseball or basketball um, or even cricket and kind of implementing those ideas into making them make sense in football. Um, So, I mean, at the moment, my kind of big thing is uh, what's called an ELO rating system. So this is taken a little bit from chess. Um, So if you have two teams, say you had Brentford, against Man City, you've got the ratings of the starting 11s, and it might say that Man City would be expected to win this game 70% of the time, you get a draw 20% of the time, uh, and Brentford would win 10% of the time. So Man City definitely heavily favoured. So if Man, Man City end up winning that game, they've not overperformed that much because they are heavy favourites. So although they've won, their players' ratings won't rise um, very highly because they've not massively overperformed. However, if Brentford were to win, say, 3-0, they've massively overperformed given our pre-match expectations of them. So the players in that starting eleven would see massive, massive jumps in their rating because we've underestimated their chances of being able to win that game. So slowly over time, you start building up this pyramid of players moving up or down depending on how much they under or overperform given the kind of level of opposition they're playing and the strength of the teammates they're playing with and slowly but surely it starts to build up this picture of where a player's kind of true uh, rating lies. Yeah, fascinating. I think um, you're, you're not the first. You're definitely not going to be the last that um, look at how well other sports are able to understand their sport and bring that towards football. That's, that's going to be here and uh, going to be happening for a really long time. Um, and yeah, hopefully maybe some, some metrics are stolen from football back um, uh, when we know even more about our end game, but um, I'm not holding our breath on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're you're definitely right on all of that. It sounds it sounds really interesting. I, I think from a logical standpoint as well, um, you're you're looking at sort of value and expected value, and then if if something throws that off, or what you expected to get as a result, and then if you're if if the signal's coming in that it's you've actually outperformed or you're doing better, then that's that's basically what what this is is what it's all about especially in recruitment you're, you're looking at somebody's performing better than expected consistently and then it's not it's not fleeting it's not luck it's actually it's actually maybe there's some skill in there and then you home in on that and then you look at the price of that do you, you get my drift yeah and I, I also kind of wanted a way that rated players at any level um and across eras um so obviously we've got this kind of influx of event data over the last 10 to 15 years passes shots tackles but i always found that it was quite limited as to which players you could get that data on, but also how heavily influenced, um, say, the number of passes that a midfielder plays is so heavily influenced by the team that he plays in. Um, So this was kind of a more concrete way to say, let's start from the top and work our way down. Here's how well the the team played. How do we um, apportion that credit to the players? And then we can go back and look at how players in the 60s and 70s were doing compared to now. Uh, and build up this whole sort of timeline of football history to find, you know, w- what track a player's on in terms of how high they can reach compared to other players. Um, and looking, you know, trying to find those gems, as Brentford often do, in the lower leagues, you've got a system that can go from kind of the Premier League right down to the depths of the National League, and it's the same um, sort of structure being applied in terms of how the players go up or down in their rating. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, you don't want to be too empirical, I guess, with all this stuff. It wants to be much more, um, yeah, just a holistic instead of just counting things or yeah. just events that are happening. It's it's uh, it's a slippery slope, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, maybe the maybe that's for another podcast. Um, 
<laughs> okay, I think we start delving into these um, into these players. Well, what, what we're going to do is go through um, Brentford's midfielders, the list that I read out, uh, read out earlier. Um, we're going to start looking at them, probably how the how the modelling picks them up. I'm going to try and offer a bit more of a tactical view of how I see that and um, their performances, and probably whether whether that translates into what I think I've seen, and then um, let you lead on some of the. Um, some of the the model projections. Um, mm-hmm. I think a good place to start is uh, our Euro superstars. So I don't want to timestamp this too much, but we know that um, Jensen and Norgard in Denmark have um, got themselves to a semi final against Bre- uh, sorry not Brentford against England. Um, they've had good they've had good minutes each. Um, they're not key starters. They're more like the understudy second string coming in and seeing out games, which is also really important in itself. I think you, you can, just because they're coming on late in games, it doesn't mean that um, uh, that that they're hugely inferior. I think um, they're, they're fulfilling an interesting and important task. Um, but yeah, they're, they're getting minutes in a Euros semi-final, which is well, they're likely to get minutes in Euro semi-final, um, which is really impressive. Um, should we start off with those then? What um, we'll go with Christopher Norgard first. Um, so tactically, yeah. defensive midfielder. Um, we think of him as like um, the midfield general. He's he's calming, um, good on the ball, um, disciplined off it, really good awareness. Um, what's um, what's he looking like as a player to you? Um, yeah, so he's really well rounded in terms of uh, we kind of divide the players up into four factors so we've got their attacking output which is kind of their link to goal scoring creative um, setting up goals you've got pressing kind of winning the ball back and defending which is uh, limiting the other team from from scoring and he is a really well rounded profile he kind of um, contributes about 25% of his overall game to each of those four areas Um, so looking at a, a really balanced profile and yeah, in terms of his kind of ELO rating, he is um, approaching his peak window. So kind of that 26 to 29 age bracket. Um, so we've we've got him at a, a similar level to his international teammate, um, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg, who he's kind of been deputising for, like you say. Um, so yeah, it's no surprise to me to see him. Uh, getting picking up minutes in a squad that's got as far as they have so far. Yeah, really interesting. So, um, Huyberg or Huyberg or however he's pronounced, I don't want to butcher the the Danish pronunciation <laughs> of his great name. Um, yeah, he he's been at Spurs with his last couple of years, sorry last season, and um, it's not really bad company as you say. Um, a dominant defensive midfielder, okay on the ball. Um, Probably playing within himself slightly, just so he can offer a bit of defensive stability for the t- for the rest of the team to go and play, and then obviously playing under an ultra defensive manager like Jose Mourinho. But at international level, um, you think Norgar could step into that role that he's performing there quite comfortably? It, it shows just the depth the depth they have. Um, I'm interested in on his 2021 projection. So that looks that's higher than his projected peak overall. Is that right? Yeah, so he's one of kind of very few players where he's coming into his peak years and it's actually higher than what a player on his trajectory we would normally expect. Um, so his overall projected peak is around uh, 1,800. But So we're projecting him uh, over this next season to be about 50 points higher than that. So it's shown that he's on a really good curve, but he's also actually slightly above that curve. Um, now there's a, a number of factors why that can be and sometimes with a system like this it's hard to to pinpoint what those are and you've really got to there's no um, 
easy answer. You've got to kind of dig in and find out why. Um, but I think it's that um, overperformance at, at the Euros, getting those minutes where we might not necessarily have expected him to get the level of minutes that he has done so far. Um, and also just being such a key cog in this Brentford side that has consistently um, put themselves at the top end of the championship and they've now made that leap to, to the Premier League. And I think that that really does bode well for this season, that he could really be a key fulcrum for Brentford moving forward. Mm. So to start with um, Norgard, uh, we're looking at a player that could quite comfortably step up to the next level. There's no signal here that says he might struggle. He looks he looks ready. He, the curve's right and um, he looks ready to perform. Uh, yeah, to my eyes, certainly. So um, if you trust the data, then sure. Um, and hopefully with the eyes as well, it, it, tells a, it paints a similar picture. Um, you know, there is always that question mark as to how players who've never played at that level step up and you do see really wildly mixed results. Um, but I would, out of all of the kind of guys we're going to speak about today, he would be my my one banker to to step up and not look out of his depth at all. Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think a lot of people watching would agree with you. Um, just personality, like sort of um, aptitude, uh, focus, uh, the roles he can play. The sort of he stepped back into def- the defensive line recently as well. That yeah, this is as you're saying, is a really ra- well-rounded player from the data profile. He is really rounded and. Um, yeah, I, I think um, a good future ahead of him as long as he can stay fit and um, well, and and uh, yeah, the formation suits him as well. Um, okay, so a good start with Norgar. Let's move on to his Danish teammate uh, Matthias Jensen. Um, so Matthias Jensen is quite a small player. He's quite slight, um, but I think that lends to a false sense of security with how physical he is and how strong and combative he is as well. Um, he's a creative midfield machine, that's what I'd call him. Very good um, very good at delivery into the box and getting the ball forward. Um, positional master, I think he's really important in that second build-up phase where the ball moves from the, the defensive line into midfield, pulling himself out wide and offering himself as an option to get it forward again and, and keep the ball circulating as the, as the wide forwards come inside. Um very, very clever player, um, a pressing machine as well. Um, I know they're very fond of him at Brentford and he plays a lot of minutes. I think out of all of midfield, he had the most minutes last season in what which turned out to be the promotion season. Um, how, how's he looking? Uh, yeah, that kind of bears out in the data. Like you say, creativity is his sort of strength. Um, we estimate that he's worth kind of a goal every four games through his creative creativity um and again he's on a pretty similar track to um to Norgard not quite reaching the sort of heights that um Norgard might reach but certainly again into that sort of comfortable Premier League midfielder not at that sort of top end but anyone from kind of 10th downwards he we seem been able to slot into and not look out of his depth um rating wise and again I think it's really nice that this Brentford midfield there's a lot of different um, complementary profiles Um, you know having a couple of the same player is good in case of injury or um, things like that but in terms of having different profiles and different ways of playing you know Brentford towards the back in the last season were quite flexible with system as well so having that flexibility really sets you up well I think to succeed in the Premier League unless you've got unless you're like a Leeds and you've got a really clearly defined system where everyone knows their roles. I think having that flexibility uh, and different players to suit different matchups and different oppositions can play a really key part and 
can almost you know go under the radar in terms of being able to succeed um, for promoted sides. Mm. Um, what's interesting as well, your model's thrown up a likeness to um, James Milner, who he's a little bit younger than, and um, James Ward-Prowse, which is quite fascinating. Um, two players that probably are slightly underrated in what they do for their teams. I think Ward-Prowse stands out with his set-piece delivery. Jensen actually does take a lot of the set-pieces for Brentford. He's that, that player as well. Um, Milner is this... Um, is this sort of versatile engine that's had a really long career at just at just doing everything in midfield, like the, the sort of playing as the eight, getting the ball forwards or moving wide or getting balls into the box, shooting from the edge of the box as well, getting into the box on the end of stuff. They're, they're just really all-round <laughs> effective players. And um, for him to come up as a likeness of those of those two um, is, is good company as well. Um, his projected peak isn't quite as high as Norgard, as you were saying. Um, is that does it? Is there anything moving towards more of a value of defensive work compared to attacking? And I think if you're more of a creative player, that is, are you not quite as exceptional as the best creative players? That it's not going to it's not going to like you as much. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, picking up on that, my kind of these Elo ratings have always tended to have a problem with sign of good creators. So I always come back to um, Zahar. Grealish uh, and Paul Gascoigne as this kind of three that it never seems to get right. And my explanation has kind of developed into this. If you're a side and everything's going through one good creator, it's easier for the opposition to stop that at source because they can just stick two men on that creative hub, mark them out of the game. And if they're ineffective, the team as a whole tends to be ineffective. And so what happens is if you're not in that very, very top tier of creative player, um, you know, like a Lionel Messi or someone just below that, maybe a Neymar. If you're not at that very top level where you can get away from three markers and still get a goal and an assist every game, it becomes easier to predict what your team's going to do and consequently your team might suffer as a result. Your team's then going to possibly underperform and so you're going to see your rating slide a little bit. So I think that could well be the case with, with Jensen or it, it could just be a case of that sometimes he's not, getting you know he has got the most minutes uh, like you say this season but maybe earlier on he wasn't on the kind of minutes growth uh, track that we thought he might be on so it's kind of been a little bit steep in terms of the minutes curve and it's going to take the model a while to to catch up for that but yeah certainly creators um can suffer like you say mm. yeah interesting it's going to be interesting to see how much that um translates to the premier league i think um good delivery in the championship has to turn into exceptional delivery in the Premier League I think um, it's going to be harder to win fouls it's going to be harder to get the ball into the other areas that we're used to in the championship there's less games there's more intense pressure so um, I think with Jensen there's enough um, sort of smart tactical signal to think that he can step up and I think some of these Euros minutes and um, and what he's doing closing out these games alongside Norgard is really interesting too that Denmark have racked up some really Good results, um, and they've they've shown a they've shown a level of consistency, and probably alongside England have been pretty much maybe I put Italy in that as well. Three of the most consistent teams um, uh, in just in just their identity and what they're doing, and um, and and sort of belief in their system. So, uh, yeah, personally, I have no doubts that he'll um, he'll be effective stepping up, and I think um, I think the data shows that as well, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I, I again, it's you know we're, we're playing a game of uncertainties here, and I always say that to people. These 
numbers are never a, a definitive answer to is a player good or bad uh, or can he score or can he not. It's always just reducing the uncertainty and understanding that there's a range at which a player can play, but this is the sort of range and the bracket that we expect him to play in most often. And as long as we can, as long as he plays in that range that we expect him to more often than not, then we can adapt around that and we can kind of make compromises. Um, but yeah, I think he'll. I think he'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, good to hear. Good to hear. Okay, let's move on to um, Vitali Yanelt, um, uh, one of my favourite players. Um, yeah, just a quick summary. Just a huge size. Um, he's got a dangerous left foot. He, he's very left-footed. I think um, he. He's, you can see that's his stronger side. He, reluctant to use the right, but can if he needs to. Um, good awareness off the ball. Just. He's a ferocious midfielder, and he's only 21, I believe. Um, I think the improvements here with this, the, the potential of Yanelt, I think, is really, really high. Um, good awareness off the ball, good awareness on it. Um, a dangerous left foot as well around the edge of the box. Um, strikes the ball well. He just, he just feels like a leader, and I, th- I think maybe that's something to do with his size, or you, just, um, just where he sits in the pitch, just sort of very central and, um, and doing a lot of the, the dirty off the ball stuff and chasing stuff down. But yeah, really, to me, a, a player with a really high ceiling, and I think his physicality is, as well as being really good on the ball, just um, you, you can't see many bad things happening for him. Um, how, how are you summarising him? Um, yeah, again, I'm gonna just kind of have to reiterate a lot of what you've said you've really kind of summed it up quite well in terms of how the data bears out uh good pressing presence good defensive presence still a little bit of a goal threat I mean I I did have to laugh at that goal he scored in in the playoffs that was a tackle uh come short that ended up just uh catching the keeper out but no I I didn't actually know much about um Yanel until um the under 21 euros group stages um, and then I watched him play a couple of games there and realised he played for Brentford and then kind of took a, a keener interest in him since then. And yeah, I, I've been really impressed by what I've seen and the data does kind of bear that out. Um, we expect him to improve this season to pretty much become an average uh, player at worst in our data set. We set the average around uh, 1,400 to 1,500 and he's coming in at just under 1,500 this year. Still got room for growth. We reckon he can go up to kind of a a 1700 level at the moment but if he plays well in the Premier League no reason why that can't go higher um in terms of kind of the the players we've we've got similar to him it's quite a a mix at one end you've got um kind of Nathaniel Shalabar who's just been promoted alongside him at, at Watford and who I think most people were quite impressed by in in the Premier League when he was there with Watford and there were rumors that he might get a move when they went down but I mean at the top end um someone like Didi Herman if Janot can go any way towards replicating what, what he did in his Premier League career, then I think you're onto a winner there. Yeah, that's some some interesting comparisons. I, I, I kind of get the Nathaniel Chalaber comparison and that's that's not the worst company. I think if, if Brentford have their ha- have have a, a Chalaber level player on their hands, then um uh, things are going to bode well. Um, yeah, just I, th- I think what stands out with him is his size and then what he can do on and off the ball. He's it's just another <clears throat> Another very well-rounded player um, who looks like a, who looks like a, at twenty-one. He's ready to step up again. Um, there's nothing really stand out. I think, of, as you were saying, slightly of all, all the other midfielders, maybe there's a little bit more doubt about Vitali Yanelt 
and I, I wonder if that's evidence based. I wonder if there is if it's the the fact that he has only had that one season at the championship um, compared to some of the others, the depth they've had. Um, would you say that has any bearing there? Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, like you say, he's still young. We there's still kind of no clear picture as to where his true level as a player is going to sit until he kind of becomes 25 26 um and yeah we can we can only go off kind of the minutes we've got on him so his rating has kind of steadily improved at Brentford but he's just not got the the experience in those minutes in the bank for us to be able to confidently say oh yeah we think he can become a really good Premier League midfielder I think the projections are definitely on the the more cautious side and as with any player if he then starts to outperform those uh, expectations, then the rating will grow to try and catch up with that. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't play a big part stepping up as well. Um, <clears throat> I think um, I think defensively, that just the size of him, um, I think we're going to need as much help as we can get from set pieces and um, on the defensive side of the game. So I'd be surprised if he doesn't play a big part. But um, yeah, let's hope he um, uh, let's hope he confuses and upsets the modelling and um, shows shows what a great player he's going to be. Um, moving on to one of the absolute fan favourites and probably yeah one of the standout midfielders of the championship for the last few seasons, uh, Josh De Silva. Um, Josh De Silva is just he's he's just everything good about midfield football. Um, he's absolutely huge. Uh, doesn't turn like a big player. He turns like he should have a much lower centre of gravity. Really sort of agile and nimble. Um, absolutely wicked left foot dangerous from from around the box um he's just got this ability to create transitional moments from absolutely nothing so when a team is just set and they think they're sort of structured and they've got 10 or however men behind the ball nice lines De Silva can just drop a shoulder and break a couple of lines at will um from just a standing start and there's not many players that can do that I know that um uh I think believe it's Joe Ross Joe Rothwell shows up in one of these comparisons I thought it was Joshua Silva but um there's just a couple of players that can do that and at championship level Rothwell for Blackburn was another one that did this um just amazing just ball carrying driving skills through the middle of the pitch and De Silva has that but it's also just the ability to move and jink and swivel and then just get off shots and dangerous shots as well as well as playing another teammate so huge size um really quick feet the ability to pass the ability to positionally move and then as he's developed and understanding his body more pressures off the ball the the sad thing about De Silva is actually I think he's going to miss a lot of this season he has quite a serious injury which he probably won't be able to to see off in time which is the the most saddest thing because it would have been fantastic to see him in the Premier League but I'm fingers crossed we do get to see him but it's still good to explore um how Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. He would, or, or our views on how he would step up, um, even if we aren't going to see the reality of that for a while. Um, what's, um, what's some of your verdicts, Felix? Yeah, I mean, it, it is a crying shame because out of kind of all the guys we're going to talk about today, he was the one. Uh, I was most looking forward to to seeing how he made that step up because, like you say, he's probably the most talked about of this kind of group, um, and he does he is kind of a a diamond in the eyes of many of uh, the analytics accounts on on Twitter. And I think he'll he'd have a point point to prove as well. Um, he was I think he was in an Arsenal academy player, got let go and and joined the Brentford B, and then. Um, got moved up to the senior team so I think he'd have a point to prove that he has the ability and the temperament to play um, Premier League football in terms of sort of um, my profile on on him he's definitely um, a really good attacking threat like you say Um, goal threat stands out of the guys we've spoken about so far he's kind of head head and shoulders uh, above those and a solid kind of creative presence as well so yeah he's definitely one of those that can kind of create moments if he's got them more uh, solid players as a base behind him. Uh, projections are kind of middling at the moment. A decent kind of ceiling at around 1,700, but for now he's projected to play at uh, kind of that average level between uh, 1,450 and, and 1,500. And I, I think, yeah, the injury has kind of curtailed where we see him going. Um, I mean, players do get kind of penalties for missing consecutive games and also for playing too many games in a row. Um, you know, just to kind of balance out the chances of maybe burnout, especially for younger players. Um, so I think that injury has kind of halted the growth path that he was perhaps on. And uh, again, slightly before that, he might not have had the uh, the consistency of minutes that we would expect um, to kind of see his rating rise. But yeah, it, it's a real shame because I do think he would have been a really eye-catching uh, player in the Premier League and I think with that point to prove he would have given a few teams a bit of a scare <laughs> yeah he's a formidable player I mean he's really hard to do, to defend against um, Brentford had a quite a good cup run in the Carling Cup or the League Cup I should probably call it I don't know who it's sponsored by I keep forgetting but um, we Carabao s- Carabao that's Carabao? it yes yeah Carabao there we go. the energy drink the Change energy drink yeah yeah <laughs> um, so we got a little bit of a glimpse of De Silva against Tottenham um, I believe he played in the Newcastle matches as well, and within Southampton, you could you could see that this wasn't a player out of his depth. In fact, those teams had to actually um, have a bit of concern about him, and um, he was hard to stop. But unfortunately, he was sent off in the Spurs match. Just to, he was trying to do a skill, a little flick trick, and um, he caught. I believe he actually caught Hoiberg's leg quite dangerously, and um, there was a little bit of blood, and it was 
it was it it was completely accidental. There was no malice there at all, but it it probably painted De Silva in this um, sort of aggressive light when he's anything but. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm gutted. We're not going to see him immediately. Um, Brentford played a lot of last season without him. Let's not forget that. I think there was a tactical change in system as well to to make up for him missing, which um, in the end worked out well for Brentford and um, a few other tweaks here and there. But yeah, just really sad we're not going to see him straight away. Um, some of the matches that this has thrown up of him as a style, as a player style and um, what he, some of his output is brilliant. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek is, is fascinating. I think that physically as well, because of that size and the way they can carry the ball and move past players, um, really interesting. Billy Gilmore's another one as well, like um, complete opposite in frames and um, aesthetically but um, you can start to see where these similar things how, how these um, similarities are being thrown up and um, one for the slightly older fan <laughs> um, Leon Osman which is quite interesting as well do you want to explain that have you just thrown an Everton name in no no he was <laughs> um, quite high up and I, I was actually quite shocked because um, yeah I remember watching Aussie pretty much he was in that Everton team that I grew up watching I started watching in what, 2009 um, so he was kind of a key part of the side that I grew up watching until he until he retired, and I think he was one of those that was almost a, a sort of late bloomer. He was in and out of the side in his younger days, and then just turned into this really reliable player that um, David Moyes could play centrally or out on on the right, and even occasionally on the left. And he was someone who would who would run. Um, he could create chances. But he was just one of these that was all over the park, plugging gaps, doing what he needed to do. Could kind of almost alter his role depending on the players he had around him um, if he had an Arteta next to him he would just be a little bit more solid if it was Fellaini next to him he knew he had more license to roam um, was always a, a bit of a goal scoring threat a bit like De Silva making those sort of late runs um, and eventually ended up with um, England recognition which was great for me as a kind of young Everton fan to see I wasn't used to seeing Everton players in the the England team to, so to see him win almost 10 caps was uh, was quite nice but yeah I think if De Silva could go anywhere to emulate in the kind of long and consistent Premier League career that Osman ended up having, that's that's quite a nice benchmark to try and aim for. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so moving on to some of the other midfielders. Um, uh, these are slightly different. These midfielders because they're not they've not been really picking up core minutes. So if that if they're punished by some of the data, that could be something to do with it. But um, they're a bit more like the supporting cast that we we mentioned um Norgard and Jensen acting as for their national side. Um Saman Godos is the first one we'll go to. Um he's an interesting player. He's um he's showing up on your metrics as an attacking midfielder. Um he's played a lot of his career in the final third, so he's actually played a centre forward, attacking midfield, um he's played out wide. But I think at Brentford the idea of him and the idea of um, getting the best out of him so far from what I've seen and what I can um, infer is that he'll be one of the eights, like a, an, an eight that can do some of the defensive work, but actually probably you want him joining in with the attack and trying to get into the box and just making those first-time strikes or, or just getting shots away and then playing balls just on the edge of the box, um, maybe just someone out wide to, to put it into the box themselves. So I, I think we view him probably slightly more attacking than... Um, uh, maybe a, a midfielder like Janelt or, or Norgard, and just bridging that gap between um, midfield and attack. That's that's how I kind of view him. What's your um, what's your take on Godas? Yeah, I, as you say, 
it's quite interesting that he's sort of played these different roles and he's one of those that kind of makes it quite hard to classify in in our database but he's ended up going down as an attacking midfielder um but yeah he's he's someone who is really balanced kind of between his attacking and his creative output and um that's something I quite like in a player um I I think it makes a player quite direct and unpredictable because if they're just kind of good at one or the other, you know how to stop them. Whereas if you know they're going to be a bit of an equal threat at both, um, it does kind of make it harder to plan for them. Um, are they going to pass? Are they going to try and get a shot off themselves? Makes it harder to defend against. And I think in the Premier League, when you're coming up um, against you know a more experienced defences but also more set defences in terms of um, how the coaches are setting them up to play I think having a player like that um, to just kind of unlock them is is invaluable Um, and yeah even his kind of defensive output between his sort of pressing and uh, his defending metrics it's coming out around you know a third of his game so between the attack the creativity and all of his defence put together um, he's got roughly a third of his game pigeonholed uh, in each so I could certainly see him playing as as one of those eights as long as he kind of has the the discipline because obviously you're not going to get as much time on the ball and probably going to see less of the ball than Brentford would have done in the the championship but I think it's certainly an interesting option as to playing him there yeah yeah he's um he's a feisty little guy he's got this low center of gravity he's um big chested um he's competitive um tidy on the ball in that central area and yeah can shift it left and right nicely um he's a competitor i think um and i, I think that tenacity is also quite interesting I, I think it will be it'll be invaluable actually coming off the bench just that that competitiveness and that um that that willing to to yeah to sort of keep brentford in games and um and just be sort of good on the ball and um, and calm when when needed. So I I think there's going to be good things from Godos. Um, I think he, yeah, again, like a lot of these other players now, he's he's looking like a good all rounder. He can do both sides of the game well. And um, there's becoming a bit of a theme here. I think Brentford's recruitment over the years has been um, very focused on the ball. Um, Brentford have been an attacking team and not as much concern about defending because you're you're trying to make players look great and you're trying to sell them for good money so you need to just be focused on the tap but I think now there's a bit more of this this movement to to players who are really good off the ball and a bit more stable and can actually play tactical systems that keep us in games for longer um as we're not as we move away from being the strongest team uh, so it's basically readying us for the Premier League I think um I don't know how you feel about that Felix yeah, yeah, I think that's quite interesting. Um, certainly, that kind of focus on attack, as you say, to to get the value up. I saw, I can't remember who it was. I saw on Twitter saying, "Doesn't matter who your best player is, put them on penalties, give them seven to ten goals a season, and bump their value up by twenty million." Because teams will just look at the the headline stat of goals. Um, but yeah, I think that again, it's all about this evolution, this this long term plan that Brentford have put in place so well and have stuck to despite kind of adversity and admonishment from the outside that they've got to this stage now where they've they've made the transfer profits they've had the big sales um you know uh, Mopai and uh, Ollie Watkins and Saeed Ben Rama that they can now afford to focus less on on that um those saleable assets they'll still come and go when the money is right but they can now focus on building this squad that can play a number of different systems that's got uh, a variety of profiles to counter different oppositions and they can really move from being this kind of selling club to try and um, raise the overall club value to now 
been in a position where they can say, okay, we can, we've now got the funds, we can go out and build the squad that we've got in mind. Yeah, he's another one. I think, um, yeah, we're, we're quite happy with him. We, we should see good things stepping up as well. Um, the next one is that we're going to discuss is Mads Bistrup. Um, Mads is, yeah, for, for a midfielder, I think he's quite unusual in that he's just come through the B team system. I think he spent a lot of time out injured when just straight after he joined. Um, I was fortunate enough to watch quite a bit of his um, RB Leipzig under nineteen stuff and. This is another player that it's just another very Brentford signing. If we're if we're putting him in the category of some of the recent ones we've seen, um, uh, quite quite small as well, not slight like um, like Jensen, quite short in um, in his on-field demeanour. But another one who's a really good competitor off the ball. I think coming through the RB Leipzig setup, you can already tell that he's tactically intelligent. He, he's played a number of different systems, possession-based systems um, on the offensive. Um, uh, they can sit off the ball. They can they can move in game between three four threes and four four twos and uh, into a three five two. And he's been central to some of these movements as um, as a young midfielder coming up. Um, it's he's scored he scored some very good goals, which <laughs> you wouldn't expect as well. So from the edge of the box, he's quite dangerous. Strikes the ball well. Um, can play simply or can play a little bit more expansive and then just this really good work rate which is um, and it's just, it's just another gem of a find <clears throat> he got a lot of minutes he picked up main, many of his minutes towards the end of the season when it was kind of looking like Brentford were fine to make the playoffs and then we could ease back a little bit and not put so much into the into the slog of hunting for the automatic spots so he got he got some good game time and I think you saw a midfielder that was clever enough to sort of make himself space and just shift the ball on to to more attacking players and um do some do some pick up work as well so very impressive all round um i was i was quite happy seeing him play and um yeah just impressed with his youth stuff um some wonderful uh some wonderful comparisons that um you've got here as well but i'll let you um i'll let you jump in with what you've what you're what you're inferring on him yeah, so I, I think he again it's that, that all roundedness. Um I think a lot of that comes down to kind of he's not had many minutes compared to some of the other guys we've talked uh, we've talked about, so it's it's harder for the, the model to um project where his overall balance is gonna lie, so it stays quite conservative and quite balanced for now. But yeah, I think it's it's rare that you find a player coming out of that Red Bull system that a isn't going to be good enough because their scouting is second to none. It seems at the minute, and B isn't going to be all round and tactically flexible enough to to kind of slot into any system and be able to do competently at the bare minimum. Um, I think the transition between all the kind of feeder clubs there and the different systems, like you say, and the the high intensity that they play at really does set players up well, whether they make it there or not. Um, but yeah, in terms of the the sort of comparisons, I I would. Preface this with take it with a pinch of salt because he's not got the minutes yet, so this could drastically change. But if he were to stay on track and and keep getting minutes and keep growing at the rate we kind of expect him to, uh, and his overall kind of game contributions in each of the kind of areas stays the same, then yeah, three players in in Scott McTominay, um, Chin Cope Miners, and and Brian Cristante are good idols to uh, attempt to emulate. Certainly, yeah, that's uh, that's a brilliant list. Um... Scott McTominay is probably twice the size of young Mads, um, but what he does on the ball and um, <clears throat> and how much he keeps Man United solid, and then as 
well, makes them effective as a counter-attacking team. I think this is probably what's um, maybe gone amiss of Man United. They're, they're okay to soak up pressure and they just look for the teams to sit onto them and then hit them. And then as he's got better, they've moved into a better possession team. And they're, they're a formidable beast who Brentford are going to have to face somehow this season. But McTominay is an interesting player, I think slightly underrated in um, a lot of people's analysis. But um, Cooper Miners is another fascinating player. I think... Uh, um, for Brentford fans, maybe think uh, Josh McEachran, but a mobile, fit and tenacious version. He has that left foot that's um, that's almost like it's almost like a, a gun always waiting to be fired. It's just there, ready to be pulled to play the ball forward or cut cut through a couple of lines. And if you don't if you don't press him quickly, he's just going to glide forward with it and then move into a more advanced position, or he's going to hit that pass. Lovely balance off that side. And Josh McEachran had that as well, which. Um, uh, was was lovely to see when it was in action, but unfortunately, just uh, injuries got in the way. But a little bit like Xhaka as well. There's this there's this balance. The ball's very well protected on that left side, and then it's fired forward um, at will um, if you, if you're not pressuring these players. So the fact that these have been shown up in in comparison to Mads is is interesting. I, I think he. Why I think this might be is um, he's very quick to get that ball forward. Um, he, he's very good at not slowing the ball down and let, he, he'll let it run in front of him and then it's just a little nudge forward to the next line. I think um, without knowing exactly what how you're, how you're profiling these players, I think that might be something that, that I'd pick up on with him. It's, it's, there's no wasted time on the ball. I think um, it, it's very much, let's just move this on, let's keep it going and... Um, and uh, trying to create tempo that way. So another fascinating player. I mean, he's he's still very young, just a, a huge, a huge step up in quality. But promoted to the first team, I mean, there must be a huge belief in this in this player. And as you were saying about RB Leipzig, um, they don't tend to they don't tend to have many duds. And the fact that he's coming through that system, it's almost like a large piece of work in terms of talent ID has been done for you because you already know that they've identified him and he's pushed through at this amount of... He's pushed through at this level and he's already had this body of work behind him. So, yeah, really impressive that Brentford have him. Great to see him get minutes last season. And, um, yeah, in- interesting to see his um, his role next season and, and what part he can play. Um, next, we'll move on to... Uh, we'll do another injured player who's um, missed almost an entire season um Shandon Baptiste uh he was bought at the same time as Tariq Fossey from Oxford um Baptiste was tearing up um the lower leagues uh for Oxford just a I don't I don't want to pigeonhole him as just this powerful pacey player because he's a lot more subtle than that but it is just a standout trait for his um Similar to Josh De Silva and um, Joe Rothwell, as we spoke about earlier, it's just this this ability to to just break lines from a standing start. And if there's any, if <clears throat> if you're not aware of these players, they'll they'll just move beyond you. And you, if you're not stopping them quickly, letting them get up ahead of steam, they can they can move forward and then get into space and shoot a goal. They're just very dangerous midfielders from deep. Um, it's a shame we didn't get to see him much last season. He picked up an injury. Um, I think he's back on the training ground now, looking ready to to push on for this season. And he would have been brought in mind for Brentford making a, a step up to the Premier League. It's going to happen sooner or later. And he's he was bought um, for that next phase. I think. Um, what, how are you? Um, how are you viewing Shannon Baptiste? I know he's um, he's had a season out. Has that counted against him? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, when in my notes, kind of here, yeah. Low rating, limited by a lack of minutes, but does tend to have a positive impact on results when he does play. Um, so I think that kind of sums it up in that having that year out has kind of killed where uh, 
the model can see him reaching, especially now he's having to go from basically a season out to then playing at two levels above where he was starring for um, for Oxford. But, I mean, in terms of his overall profile, he's another kind of strong, creative presence, very similar to um, Matthias Jensen in terms of the overall balance of his profile. Um, and, yeah, while we see his ceiling not massively high, um, only around just under 1,500, so in that kind of average range as a a sort of max level, I think that injury has definitely curtailed that. And I think if he can get somewhere back to um, where he was playing at Oxford, uh, we might see it rise, not not massively, but certainly as someone who can be a role player. Um, and I always come back to that thinking of his football, kind of about your strong players or your, your weak players. I think if he can just fill in those minutes at a, a good base level and not be a massive glaring hole in the team then I think that's absolutely fine given the number of bodies that um, Brentford have got in the midfield area. Uh, next up on the list is Tariq Fosu. Um, we're not going to go too much in depth on Fosu because um, his role slightly changed and he just made it into the into the category because of how much he played centrally last season. Um, Fosu's uh, predominantly been a winger, a wide forward, a little bit a little bit sort of in the Sterling mould where he sort of comes out wide but then moves centrally. But for Brentford last towards the end of last season, he played this central attacking midfield role just behind the two forwards, which was really important in um, in Brentford seeing uh, seeing it through to promotion. Um, very clever player, uh, good at holding onto the ball and sort of stabilising possession upfield and letting, um, letting some of the attackers get into better positions. Um, yeah, I, I think we're comfortable with him playing a part moving up again I think there's um uh there's there's lots to come from Tariq and I think uh he'll um yeah he'll be um he'll be definitely vital in uh in Brentford picking up points next season that's for sure um just to summarize the group then um if we think about uh, if we think about how we've sort of discussed them I, I don't think we've had any major negatives about any player I think the one we were most unsure about from the data perspective is probably Vitaly Inelt, but of all of them, from watching him, um, he's one of the players that I'd be most happy about stepping up. So it's that's quite interesting how we've got that um, divergence there. Um, let's think about. We I think we've been positive on a lot of them. We've spoken about what they're good at, and then. But I think from the group, if we think about it as a whole, what's missing? Um, Josh De Silva being injured takes away with him a lot of that explosiveness and that ball progression and. Um, uh, that that kind of on the ball swagger and belief, which could buy us some time, get you upfield, or buy you some minutes when things are a bit rough, and just basically keep you elite, keep you competing against these big teams. But I think as well, what's missing, and we, we've said that a lot of these players are good off the ball, but I think um, looking at this squad, I, I think there's another level of off the ball ability that you need because we're going to be unused. We won't be as used to not sort of holding onto the ball as much as we have done in the last few years. I think the Championship to the Premier League, you've got to expect sort of a 5%, uh, maybe a 3-5% reduction in possession because of just the quality of teams you're playing. Um, and uh, this is nicely leading on to, uh, yeah, one of the worst-kept secrets for Brentford signings. Um, Frank Onyeka from Mittyland. Um, he looks set to join. And I, I think um, it's fascinating because if, if you're just looking at the midfielders, and what Brentford have. He is the, the kind of profile and um, the type of player that just plugs that gap of, of what's likely to be missing just to keep Brentford competitive and, and maybe not just competitive, like competing at a, a, a medium to higher level. Um, 
Frank Onyeka is 23 years old, and for those that aren't too aware of him, um, but I think everyone should be by now, he's um, a defensive midfielder, sort of central midfielder, slash eight that can play and join him with a forward. So basically he's a box-to-box midfielder. Um, I I describe him as a bit of a ball destroyer all over the pitch, Um, good at ball playing as well, really competent in possession, um, can hold off challenges well, really strong physical upper body strength, um, long wiry legs when you watch him, legs that can that move quickly and just sort of jink in and out of possession or, or play or, or tight spaces. Very, very good uh, when he is under pressure, just holding that off and um, taking a bump or or taking that knock and then moving away with the ball. And I think that's important in the step up to the Premier League. You're going to come under more physical challenges or 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 a different type of different type of threat like a, a focusing on on a stronger point you need someone to be able to hold on to that and I think that's what they've looked at with Onyeka this ability to um just to, just to use his back a little bit more just hold on to the ball as a, as a midfielder and then let Brentford build um how, how does he look to you are you um are you excited by Onyeka very uh yeah I think this is a a really astute piece of business obviously Brentford have got the the Mitulin connection so that's enabled them to um to leverage a bit of an advantage, but I, I'd probably go as f- so far as to say that if Brentford hadn't have picked uh, on Yeku or if the deal, you know, we're expecting it to go over the line, but if that hadn't have come about, I wouldn't have been surprised if, um, you know, a kind of team competing in Europe uh, in one of the the big five leagues would have come in for Frank Onyeka because I, I just think that uh, I know he's, he's playing in Denmark and it's quite hard to understand how the uh, the translation might come from Denmark to to England we don't see that very often but in terms of being a standout player on a a team that's competing at the very top in their domestic league and is getting um, good results in Europe I think that this is one that Brentford fans can really sort of look forward to as someone who like you say could very much carry them or help to um, progress them into that next tier from kind of bottom end of the Premier League to you know comfortable mid-table um, I mean like you say ball destroyer kind of suits perfectly really good um, pressing numbers on on our model a um, little bit of kind of attacking and, and creative threat if needs be um, and in terms of his overall rating we've got his kind of projected peak at over 1800 which is really good um, 1650 for this season so that's really good as well as someone who's not even you know near to his peak peak window peak age yet I think this is one that um kind of teams in and around Brentford fans of those teams might be a little bit envious of uh come December when we've seen him play a few games in the Premier League yeah I, I think I'm right in saying that he has the highest projected peak of all of the midfielders we're looking at um uh is that is that because he's played at the highest level? I mean, he's got Champions League minutes now in some big games. Um, uh, I'm doing a little scouting bit on Onyeka, and he's he's performed really well against Liverpool, against Atalanta, Ajax, um, Slavia Prague. There's just big European competition that he's he's doing well in these games. At um, is that is that behind it? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I think it will definitely play a part. So, I mean, in terms of him playing at Midland, they've now become a team that are competing at the top table in Denmark and they are very much keeping level with those expectations. Uh, very consistent over the last kind of three or four years as he's grown into a part of the team. And then, like you say, um, in the Champions League this year, tough group. You know, they were up against the winner of two years ago, the semi-finalists of two years ago and the quarter-finalists um, from the year before. 
and they didn't they didn't disgrace themselves i mean our model did have them to to um, come forth in the group which they ended up doing but they they kind of held their own and they performed pretty much in line with with how our model expected them to maybe slightly above and i think yeah just having that experience at his age as well um compared to some of the the guys in the brentford squad really does stand him in good stead to um to come across i kind of speaking off air we were speaking about um the comparison between maybe Mitterland and um and Slavia Prague so you don't see many players come straight from Denmark but if you think Mitterland are a, a similar standard of club to Slavia in terms of being one of the standouts in the domestic league and causing a few upsets in Europe we've seen guys come over from Slavia and adapt quite well from the to the Premier League so I think if that's any uh baseline to go off then I think uh, Onyek will be just fine. Yeah, good things um, in store. Let's hope he stays fit and uh, can be this exciting player. We, we, we're getting an idea that he is. Um, yeah, just another one who's strong all round, um, can do multiple things. Just just what we need to sort of plug that, not only the plug the De Silva gap, but I think just bring this midfield on to... Um, just onto an elite level and um, a player that's got serious Champions League experience now and not just not just sort of making up the numbers, actually competing and keeping Michelin in tight games against elite elite teams is going to be invaluable. Um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Uh, and yeah, let's hope the deal's um, officially confirmed soon and uh, he can get training with um, his new teammates ready for pre-season. Um, <clears throat> just to sort of round up now, I think... Um, yeah, how would you say how would you say Brentford have approached squad building? Then is this um, what what's the talent distribution like for you? Is it is it um, one or two superstars, or is it the complete opposite and um, and leveling stuff off? I uh, yeah, I think it's probably more towards that um, second camp in terms of they've built a squad where a lot of the sort of players are in and around the same sort of rating level. Um, most of the squad are in between this sort of. 1550 to 1750 sort of level um and yeah i i calculate kind of the average rating and then the the standard deviation for every squad so that's kind of how far away from the average each player is so the smaller that is the kind of tighter the ratings are in the squad so brentford um the average rating of kind of players to play a thousand league minutes last year was 1630 which we could that would see Brentford possibly pushing for a, a top half spot if everything stayed level. Um, and then the standard deviation is only 200 rating points, so that is probably in the bottom third uh, of Premier League teams in the kind of bottom six or seven um, standard deviations. What what you tend to see is the biggest uh, variance tends to come with the bottom teams because they'll have players that end up becoming saleable assets if they get relegated uh, and the very top teams because you're playing at, at such a level that even if you're five to ten percent off the very best players it becomes quite a big gap as you get towards that top level so I think overall that's uh, quite an encouraging sign for Brentford they're at a, a mid-table standard of rating with a squad that is quite tightly packed together um, just only really a couple of standouts um, at either end in terms of couple of high ratings couple that are a fair bit below but overall yeah it is a squad where you can just in terms of rating and not considering kind of tactical fit or anything you can kind of um switch players in and out and there's not going to be a massive uh distortion in the um the elo ratings of the side yeah fascinating i, I think i agree as well i think that's how it, most beast fans with um 
would assess that too. Uh, yeah, if they, um, yeah, if you, if you sort of take stock and um, really, really analyze and think about it. Um, <clears throat> I guess just finishing off then, as we start to round up or continue rounding up, um, what I think is interesting is a comparison, basically, to other midfielders that have gone up this season. Um, we know that Watford and Norwich also promoted. They're going to be in the Premier League. And then maybe just a little bit of what's happened previously. Maybe not so much on that side. But Watford, are, um, <clears throat> Watford actually finished, Watford we know, finished ahead of Brentford. Um, I think for them it was more weight of numbers than sort of individual quality with them. Um, midfielders for them were Nathaniel Chalibur, Will Hughes, Tom Cleverley. Gosling came in, I believe, in January. Um, I think Sanchez was there for a little bit, but he may have—he's gone now. So, these are players that have Premier League experience already in their belt, under their belts. Um, they were good at Championship level. I think um, their experience probably outweighed um, coming up against a lot of the teams. Like they held them in good stead, and they were probably better and better than most teams. I mean, it's it's as simple as that, really. But I'm not sure how well they're going to fare in the Premier League and I, I, the reason I say that is I think some of their off the ball stuff wasn't that I wasn't that impressive with like there, there was a good discipline about them but individually I'm not so sure about Will Hughes or Chalibur again stepping up and cleverly works really hard but then again there's just doubts I have about their midfielders going back into the Premier League and succeeding um what's am I am I way off there am I wrong or what do you how do you sort of assess them I think it's an interesting one I mean that that midfield is pretty much the midfield that they ended up getting relegated with. I mean, I think they've only lost um, Capu of the the kind of regular midfielders. Exactly that, yeah. Um, so if they're going up with sort of the same midfield, I would expect them to make an addition or two in that area um, because it was pretty much really the one area they didn't kind of um, recruit in when they came back down. They they got the, um, the goalkeeper in in Backman and picked up a couple of defenders um, and obviously got Xiao Pedro in. But in terms of the midfield, that's that's pretty much remained the same. And yeah, I think last time they were in the Premier League in 2019-20, um, they, they were exposed at times. And I think it was the first time since they, they came back up in 2015 that they didn't look as solid as they always had. You, I always associate with Watford as being quite solid, quite tough to beat, um, could kind of bloody the nose of some of the big teams. Um, and I think they've sort of lost that. So if they're going up with the same midfield, I mean, they're good players. We've spoken about Shalabra, and I think Hughes is kind of approaching that, that peak window again. Um, but yeah, I think Brentford are definitely on a par at worst with that Watford midfield for me. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I agree. I think at worst, um, for sure. There's, there's nothing in there really that's screaming um, ultra-dominance over Brentford. I think... Um... Yeah, with, with a lot of this, the idea, uh, the the mindset is that you have to be as good as the top six. When that's that's not really the case. I think you just have to be better than three, four, five teams, okay. all in and around the average of that. The bottom three. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't take too much. Um, looking at some of the quality that is in the Premier th- League. Yeah, I think I think Huddersfield did that really well. Mm. Okay, uh, I think um, that rounds things up. Um, we're going to go off and record a, a little Q and A with uh, Felix on the Patreon side. Um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed that. I think it's been absolutely fascinating. In summary, I, I think um, Brentford are looking really settled and um, <clears throat> good continuity in the midfield area. And and I hope that explains why it's not been this this sort of scouting podcast where we look at players from around the world and try and decipher who Brentford might sign. It's 
the answer might already be there. And uh, yeah, it's probably good to finish on on that twenty first club musing that like, what if the answer already lies in the room? It's that you're obsessed with teams are obsessed with buying players, but really what are you bringing in and how much better is it than the players you already have and uh yeah just just have a look around at your squad and um and maybe yeah maybe the answer is already there um yeah felix if um if anyone's interested in getting in touch with you or or, or reading more about um, some of the brilliant stuff you guys do um how can they go about that yeah so uh you can find me on twitter at lgop felix um we've got the website www.lgop.co.uk uh, and then you can find us on kind of podcast platforms and on YouTube. Um, search for Looks Good on Paper and, and you can find our podcast there. Yeah, great, great. How have you enjoyed your foray into into the bees world? Oh, I've loved it. I could have probably spoken for uh, another two hours. But no, I think it's just been really good to sort of dive into the anatomy of a, a promoted side. Um, as someone who you know supports a team that pretty much just stays where they are every season without much fluctuation it's always nice to talk about teams that are kind of coming up and down and how they reassess what they've done well and how they're going to improve in order to make that that step up so no i've really enjoyed it and uh and thank you david oh great stuff yeah we'll have to have you back um later in the season to to maybe talk about how some of these have come to fruition or or where um <clears throat> where players have um surprised us or or surprised us negatively um but yeah thanks so much for doing that it's been brilliant and chatting us through um <clears throat> remember the watchword is bees tactical you can check out the Substack where there's lots of tactical blogs and articles um support us on patreon um follow us on twitter support the podcast like and review um and share it with people you think may be interested um that leaves me to say thank you very much to felix and uh yeah we'll catch you next time up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. 